Good evening. It's 13 o'clock. This is Radio Clerkenwell 666FM. Hello, this is Stephen from the Real Tuesday World, sometimes known as the Clerkenwell Kid. Now I'm going to tell you a few stories, but I also wanted you to know that we're nearly at the end of a crowdfunding campaign to raise the money to pay for a new Clerkenwell animation. It's called Bathwell in Clark and Time, a sort of variation on Bath Time in Clark and Well, which you may be aware of. Details of that below. Now, if you're listening to this in, say, 2030, this isn't going to make much sense, is it? In fact, maybe the animation has been made, or maybe it hasn't. Anyway, if you are in 2030, I'm glad because it means that the internet hasn't broken. The world is still here. Now, what is Clerkenwell? Where is Clerkenwell? After we made that original Bath Time in Clerkenwell animation, which went all the way around the world, sometimes people used to come to London and they obviously went looking for Clerkenwell and sometimes I get an email saying, I went to Clerkenwell, but I'm not sure that I found it. See, the thing is, Clerkenwell is one of the oldest parts of the city, but it's also a rather mysterious part of the city. It's not a big, grand touristy attraction like other places like Westminster. In some ways Clerkenwell exists between the cracks, behind the street signs, down dark alleyways. Perhaps it really exists in the imagination. Perhaps there's a Clerkenwell inside all of us. Now, the name Clerkenwell itself comes from the Clerk's Well. It's a place, a well, where parish clerks would gather to perform biblical plays in the very old days. I mean, we're talking back to 1100. And unbelievably, the well is still here. If you go to Farringdon Lane, number 14 to 16, and peer through the window, you can see. I would not recommend, though, that you get in the well. It looks a little bit like a loo. One of the reasons why there are so many wells in Clerkenwell is that underneath flows the Lost River Fleet. Now, there are many rivers under London. Most of them are lost and hidden. The fleet is the biggest by far, flowing down from Hampstead Heath to exit into the Thames at Blackfriars. It's now just really in a sewer under the road. I've been down there. But that's another story. So you can see, Clerkenwell has always been a wet area. And that's probably why it became famous for breweries. 
They brewed beer here. But it's always been famous for other things. Monks, the Order of St. John, the Knights Templar, they probably brewed the beer, actually. And it was also famous for prisons. There was the Bridewell, Cold Bath Fields Prison, the House of Detention. Not far away, there's the infamous Newgate Prison, and of course the Fleet Prison. It was also famous for printing and newspapers. And of course it was famous for watches and clockmakers and even cameras. I mean, the Kodak factory was opened here at the end of the 19th century. It's still famous for jewellery. There's a street called Hutton Garden in Clerkenwell. There's no garden there, but there's an awful lot of jewellery shops. I used to call that street Love Lane, because on Sunday it was full of couples all out shopping for engagement or wedding rings. And a few years ago, it was the site of a very famous jewellery heist when a bunch of guys tunnelled their way into a hidden vault and made off with a huge amount of jewellery. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about a jewellery heist that's sort of romantic. Part of me would like them to get away with it. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Stephen, it's a crime. It's against the law. You're right. Hands up. It's against the law. But as long as nobody gets hurt, somehow... I do want them to get away with it. I mean, when you watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, whose side are you on? You're not on the side of the army, or the banks, or the sheriff, are you? There's something about the ingenuity of a jewellery heist tunnelling underneath Clerkenwell, through the walls of a vault, and stealing all that loot. And you could say, what's that loot doing there anyway? The legitimate stuff is probably insured, so the insurance company would pay for it. And, okay, nobody really likes insurance companies. And the illegitimate stuff, dodgy stuff, well, you could say it's fair game. Anyway, they didn't get away with it. They were caught. And in the old days, they would have been flung into a prison in Clerkenwell. Now, speaking about crimes, or alleged crimes, there's a very famous meat market in Clerkenwell. It's called Smithfields. It's one of London's oldest markets. It's been operation for over 800 years. Meat is murder, said Morrissey. I'm not going to go down that route, but until the 1850s, live animals were brought to Smithfield and slaughtered right there and then. In Oliver Twist, Dickens described the place like this. He said, the ground was covered nearly ankle deep with filth and mire, a thick steam perpetually rising from the reeking bodies of the cattle. And in great expectations, Pip discovered the old market to be a shameful place, being all a smear with filth and fat and blood and foam. But the reason I mention it now is because Smithfield also was the home of a different kind of butchery and blood. For a long time, it was one of the city's execution grounds. And there was all sorts of different horrible ways of executing people at Smithfields. I mean, you could be burned alive, as were 227 Protestant martyrs on the orders of Queen Mary. You could be hung, drawn and quartered for high treason like William Wallace. Now, you may know about William Wallace because he was also known as Braveheart. 
If you've seen that film with Mel Gibson, well, it wasn't really like that. But there is some truth in the way he comes to his end in the film. He was brought to London. He was stripped naked and dragged through the city at the heels of a horse to Smithfields, where he was strangled by hanging, but cut down while he's still alive. Emasculated. Well, if you know what that means, I'm sure all the men listening at least have just crossed their legs. That's nasty. Then he was eviscerated and his guts pulled out and had them burned before him in a brazier before being beheaded and cut into four parts. Ouch. I'm not sure that last bit was really necessary, but in those days, it was still believed that to be resurrected at the end uh, by Jesus and taken up into heaven, that your body needed to be whole. So one of the things about cutting people into bits like that was to stop them even going into paradise. And of course, it was sent out to different parts of the country, exhibited as a sort of warning to future traitors. The head would be put on a spike and stuck on London Bridge, where people entered the city as a sort of grim reminder that you really shouldn't uh, misbehave. Well, there's a memorial plaque to William Wallace in Smithfields on the wall of St. Bartholomew's Hospital. And there's often a sort of Scottish-themed offering there, maybe a thistle. I think I saw a haggis there once. And it isn't the only memorial in Clerkenwell. On the southern edge of the district, in a place called Postman's Park, behind St. Bart's Hospital, is one of what I think is London's greatest monuments. It's George Frederick Watts' memorial to heroic self-sacrifice. The city of London is full of statues to the great and good, usually Victorian men. But this is something different. It's an extraordinary tribute to ordinary people. People who committed heroic acts, which usually involved them dying to save others. For instance, the train driver Walter Pert and his engineer Harry Dean on the Windsor Express on July 18th, 1898, who died whilst being scalded and burnt, sacrificing their lives to save the train. It doesn't tell you how they did it, but you get the picture. Or Elizabeth Boxall, aged 17, at Bethnal Green. That was a very poor area at the time. And she died of injuries received in trying to save a child from a runaway horse on June 20th, 1881. There's quite a lot of death by horses in various ways. I guess the city was full of horses at that time. There's also quite a lot of deaths by fires, people rushing into burning buildings and that sort of stuff. It's really quite something. Check it out if you get the chance. But in contrast to those rather moving tales of poor and working-class people sacrificing their lives for other people, there's some Clark and Wells stories about some rather darker, rich people doing horrible things. For instance, in the 18th century, there was a frightening gang of rich hooligans, young men called the Mohawks, and they terrorised the area around Snow Hill. And they were said to kill or disfigure their male victims and sexually assault their female victims. They put an old woman in a barrel and rolled her down Snow Hill. They cut off noses and even hands. And they did several barbarous tricks without any provocation. 
They were said to be young gentlemen because they never took any money. They just did it for the fun. I'm surprised nobody's made a film about them yet. I'm sure it would be a cracker. Which reminds me, I don't want to end on a dark, depressing note talking about the Mohawks. I thought I'd tell you about Tom Smith. You see, Clerkenwell has always been the home to inventors, to ingenious types, to crafty people. And Tom Smith was one such. When he was a boy, he went to work for a baker, and he proved so good at baking that quite soon he left and set up on his own. And on a research trip to Paris, probably to find out about croissants and all those foreign things, he came across the bonbon, which at that time was a sugared almond wrapped in a coloured piece of tissue paper, and he brought it back to London. He made his own. It proved quite popular, but like all inventive types, he adapted the original design. He added inside the paper a love message, a few words written on it. He then added a toy, proved even more popular. And then finally, in the piece de resistance, he added a popping mechanism. Something which cracked when the paper was open. I'm very intrigued by this popping mechanism. I assume it's made from gunpowder and was quite dangerous, but it sounds extremely good fun. Tom Smith had done a remarkable thing. He'd invented the Christmas cracker. Yes, the Christmas cracker was invented right here in Clockermore. made Tom Smith a very rich man and it's made the rest of us have to endure terrible jokes at Christmas dinner ever since. Now if you could endure or enjoy some more Clarkamore stories let me know. You can leave a comment below and if you can help us support that Bathwell in Clarkentine animation which is going to bring Christmas joy and all year round joy many people check out the link below we'd appreciate that and if you're listening to this not in July 2018 but in July 28 or 58 hello from the past we're glad you're still listening we're glad the internet hasn't broken and that it's all still here even if we've gone and I hope that Clarkenwell's still there just as it's always been strange and full of stories. Goku.